blasphemed. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your enlightened power by your Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds and hearts to the truth that is contained in this passage for our edification and for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is probably not a typical passage for you to go to preach on the nativity or the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it's here. Especially in the words of verse 15. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The world that celebrates Christ's birth seemed to be caught up with the fact or the what of his coming and of his birth. But those who seek the things of heaven, whose affections are set on things above, because that is where their heart is. And, why, and that because that is where their treasure is, and not down here are more interested in knowing the why of Jesus coming into the world. Why was Jesus born? Jesus was born because God loved this fallen human race, which he named. It is the all-consuming love of our gracious and sovereign God that Jesus came for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You all know that verse. In fact, if I ask that you recite that verse, every hand would come up. And I think I will do that. For another time. That is how much God loved the world, that he gave his Son up to die on the cross. And it's such an enormous price that he paid. Imagine your own child, your own son. But without it, none can be saved. As I said elsewhere, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Now that's a very good word, as you might know. You might not even know what it means. That's okay. I'll tell you. It means an act of regaining the favor of God by appeasing his wrath or his anger against sin with a sacrifice. It's such a big word. It's like the word love, God's love more vast than the whole universe. The benefits of Christ's sufferings and death and resurrection show the vastness of God's love, grace, and mercy. The Apostle Paul declared in verse 15, which I have already read to you, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation, 
And Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Why does Jesus save sinners? If you talk to the average sinner, being saved from sin is the last thing on his to-do list. I know, because I talked to enough of them, like at the campus. And that has to be the truth. And many don't receive the word or don't have time to stop and talk about the word of God. And yet this is the first thing on Christ's to-do list. Paul declared in verse 15 of our passage that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Grace. Another one of those enormous words. God's loving forgiveness, which he grants to those he saves, namely the elect, apart from any merit in them whatsoever. As David would declare in Psalm 103, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide. Neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, though rewarded us according to our iniquities. There it is. There it is. Undeserved, unmerited. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, I think I got that right. So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. That's how far away our sins are from God. And we're getting farther and farther away from us as time goes as we are given power over sin as we are learning on Thursday night. A perfectly holy God did not deal with his people themselves after their sins. For if he did, he would have to send us all to eternal hell. And yet that's what Calvary meant for the sinless Son of God. He was enduring our hell in those moments and hours that he labored before and on the cross and after his burial. The word says in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also hath once suffered for us, the just, that's him, for the unjust, that's us, that he might bring us to God. That's the purpose. That's the purpose. That's the, that's the plain and simple entire point of his coming. Being put to death in the flesh, but walking by the Spirit. And all of this that he might wash away our sins and provide a wretch like me and, and, and yourselves for the pure and perfect righteousness in order to get me and us in heaven. For he hath made him to be sin for us. He that knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We don't have any of our own. Enough or complete to make us good to go into the kingdom of heaven. Into heaven. We will never make it. Never. But for the work of Christ. Thank God that he delights in saving sinners. 
Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity, and pacified the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? That's the elect. He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. If it wasn't for the fact that he delights in saving sinners, none of us would be saved. Paul also declares in verse 15, this is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And deciding that last phrase, of whom I am chief. Meaning, the one who leads the pack. The chief example that is set before us all by God in the scriptures. Christ stooped down to us in abject humiliation, as we learn from that memory verse in 2 Corinthians 8 9. If you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. It's unfathomable. It is unbelievable, if I can put it that way. I'm very believe it. Psalm 136, 23 says, Who remembered us in our lowest state, for his mercy endureth forever, his covenant love, his kessing. That's his unchangeable, everlasting, eternal love. Later in the Bible, uh, we are told to do the same toward each other when the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, 16, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend the men of low estate. We are not to take the higher place when we're invited into the banquet of our Lord, but to take the lowest seat on the mount. To be amongst those who are the servants, to eat where the servants eat in the kitchen and I know about that because in the Philippines we have servants. Servants that we try to treat like family, by the way. <laughs> like that one man that we're praying for to have a own prostitute who has served the family well, who has served the family tirelessly and sacrificially, and now in her old age has nothing in order to Christ sets the perfect example for us all from the get-go of his birth. That stable was dirty. Ugh. That manger where he laid. Yeah, they put some hay, some straw and hay in there. But the stench could still be smelled up through the straw. The stench of animals hung in the air. Yet Jesus loved us so much that he came into it. He endured abuse and ridicule, hatred and hostility, even the shameful death of the cross, all in order to redeem lost sinners. Think about that. There's a saying, how low can you go? And we say that facetiously, if you know what I mean, but the God-man did so to be the sinners like us. Hebrews 7, 24 says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost those who come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. The uttermost, meaning he went as far as any human being, humanly speaking, could go as the God-man. 
And someone said, the uttermost to the guttermost. He covered it all. He covered it all as the slave of his father, as the slave of his people. Paul says in verse 13, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly. And, and I have often pondered what that meant, and now I know. Paul could say, been there, done that, right? And, and I'm uh, going now to uh, do uh, uh, the book of Acts 8, verse 1. Acts 8, verse 1. To show that Paul has been there and done that. As far as sin is concerned, he's the chief of sinners, he said, of himself, did he not? It says in Acts 8, 1, and Saul, who was, of course, later called Paul, who had a name change in his conversion to Christ, was consenting unto his death, meaning the death of Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Who do you think led the charge? And they, all were, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So, Persecution has a way of, of making that happen, right? It's just like when it says in the Bible, when the shepherd was smitten on the cross, how the sheep fled into the darkness. Saul consenting to lose death again? Stephen's. Stephen's. Talk about sheep or first. He was the first deacon of the church, it says. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And it showed in his preaching, especially as the first gospel preacher after the apostle Peter preached at Pentecost. And you can check that out in Acts chapter 7. And he was the first martyr of the church. It says in his preaching in Acts 7, uh, beginning at 55 through 58. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Wow. Faithful, have you said, Amen. <laughs> but look what happened with his audience. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. They couldn't get rid of him fast enough and cast him out of the city and stoned him. They were like frontier justice when they want to get it done and get it done fast. If you want a fast trial, go to them. Go to the Sanhedrin and you get it. And who do you think was the mastermind behind this act of frontier justice? That the apostle, it wasn't apostle then, but Saul of Tarsus. And it says in verse 58, continuing, And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. You see, Saul hated the very name of Jesus. It says in Acts 9 and 1 that he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. 
But notice in his converted state as Paul, the apostle, in verse 13 of our passage in 1 Timothy 1.13. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious and obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. What does that mean as I alluded to earlier? Uh, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand the full implication of what he was saying. I mean, I, I know he admits to his sin. In fact, he admits to it right here. But then he almost like gives an excuse for it. Like, well, God knew my heart or something like that. But no, that's not it at all. He was not a Jew who clearly understood the teaching of the Savior and yet rejected him as his Messiah. That's really what is bottom. He was ignorant of the truth. He was not pleading innocence on the basis of ignorance, nor was he denying his guilt, obviously. John MacArthur put it this way. He said, it was simply a statement indicating that he did not understand the truth of Christ's gospel and was honestly trying to protect his religion. He was a defender of faith, if you will. His willing repentance when confronted by Christ is evident that he had not understood the ramifications of his actions. He truly thought he was doing God's service. And, of course, Christ warned his disciples of that, did he, did he not? He says, they think that by killing you, murdering you, they will do God's service. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did, unknowingly, beside himself. In Galatians 1, 13 through 16. You hear his testimony as to what changed everything for him. For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. profited in my Jews' religion, in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the tradition of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I convert not Saul, the persecutor of Jesus, became Paul, the preacher of the Lord Jesus. God would use him mightily to bring the gospel to others, to the whole known civilized world of his day, the Roman Empire. Verse 16, How be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. See how God used him. And not just his words, but his example. When we read about what he did, what he was willing to give up for the gospel, you can't help but thank God. Praise the Lord. You see the work in someone like him. How he has changed from darkness to light, 
from being under the power of Satan and God, that we might share in the faith of those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. And all to the glory of God alone, he insists in verse 17. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, that sounds like one of our hymns, by the way, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the summum bonum of it all. Soli Deo Gloria. This is why Jesus was born. First Timothy 3.16, and this is a, a very, very key word, or verse, yes, like John 3.16. Memorize First Timothy 3.16. says it all in a nutshell. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received not into glory. It says it all. It says it all. And sadly, by the way, this verse has been mutilated in the majority of the modern English versions, which I will talk to you more about later in our Sunday school. So they take out the very truth about who Jesus is and that great impact to a great degree the benefit of this country. How does Jesus' birth affect you? That's the question. And me. Is Jesus the reason for the season? Now, those who have a, a, a romantic or sentimental uh, inclination toward the holidays, and you know what I'm talking about, I believe, such as how this is something that has uh, import for this present life only. Uh, it's, it's wonderful for family. It's wonderful for entertaining friends that you haven't seen all year long. Uh, but they're only celebrating the fact, or the what, again, of Jesus' birth. Yes, he was born. And they'll maybe acknowledge that, maybe not. But that's as far as it goes. Do you see the tremendous opportunity that this time affords to learn as to the why of Jesus' birth and to meditate on his coming. But the import of all that is in terms of our eternal salvation and the promise. How that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Why God would love sinners, as uh, one German proverb would put it, if God were not willing to forgive sin, heaven would be empty. How true that is. But most of all, why you would love me. I often ponder that. Why me? Why not other members in my own family? And I have to say, I really can't answer that. And all I can say is the eternal
eternal love of God and leave his past. Or go to one of the hymns in the Bible like this one that I know we're all familiar with. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Thou hast bid me gaze upon thee as thy beauty fills my soul. For by thy transforming power, thou hast made me whole. And then, finding strength in him, is it your desire and mine to tell others about him that they might, they might know him as well? Like the Apostle Paul, who, whose tremendous testimony had for the lost. He said, I'm not going to this verse in 2 Timothy 2.20, Therefore I endure all things for the elect sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We've seen this before. This is going to be part of our study on the following Thursday, by the way. Wise men, or the three kings, right? I trust that wise men are still seeking even ourselves. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the privilege of being children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. But we know that cost you to send him. It costs our Savior to come and to live and especially if we die for our sins. But Lord, though it does burden our hearts to think about that very costly sacrifice on your part, we are thankful that you would have it no other way. But for Lord, that is to our eternal benefit. And for this we give you thanks. Praise you now. In Jesus' name.